Welcome to another episode of the Untitled Podcast. Let's discuss. about Cheap Trick. Okay. Cheap Trick uh, were finally inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame last week. What took them so long? Jan Wenner and Dave Marsh and other burned out loser hippies from the uh, Rolling Stone organization mm-hmm. that basically created this thing for their friends. And also Jan Wenner has said that certain bands will never get in there because of whatever issue he has. I know that Kiss was one for a long time. Yeah, that was weird. And that was that was not going to happen except for that new new people have been added to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame board, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so one of them is Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine. Right. Who's a huge Kiss fan. Yeah. And he lobbied hard to get them in there. Um, I'm glad somebody did. Well, it's ridiculous. I mean, really. Yeah. The fact of the matter is, it is the only Hall of Fame in the world that convenes a group of experts to make its ballot and then gives the voting over to people who know less than a smidgen of uh, as much as the people who are in that room. Right. It's, a, it's, an, it's, it's an insipid process. We also need to reckon with the fact there are not 750 people in the world on the surface of the earth who can adequately comprehend what has happened since 1955. 
I believe this to such a point that after about six months, I realized that I should have been supporting Kiss getting into the Hall of Fame all along for the simple reason that now all those idiots have to shut the fuck up about it. Yes, my brain is better than everybody's! <laughs> Questlove is now one of the people on the board. Questlove, the drummer from The Roots. Oh, on, okay, uh, yeah, yeah. And Questlove is also a big music fan. See, some guys are musicians and they just, I don't know, you don't get the fan part from them as much. Right. But like Questlove and Tom Morello, you know, obviously you got guys like Dave Grohl. And, you know, people who are really fans, almost... They're known as fans almost as much as they are musicians. Right. Those are the guys I like. Yeah. Cheap Trick to me is what the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame should be for, is recognizing people who have just done it. They've stayed with it. They've stuck with it. They've Mm -hmm. done it. They've contributed. They've worked hard. And of course, they have great songs and great albums. Right. If we go back to sort of the beginning with Cheap Trick, these guys were active in the 60s as teenagers. Right. And, you know, grew up, of course, like we would have been at that age, probably loved the Beatles, the Stones, all the British groups. Uh, Cheap Trick, obviously majorly influenced by the Beatles, but also um, bands like The Move. eventually kind of morphed into Electric Light Orchestra, which they were just always influenced by the power pop kind of thing, which is what they do best. Mm -hmm. There's other bands, you know, that they've been influenced by that would also fall into that, like Badfinger. know much about Badfinger? Not much. Well, Badfinger, great. Very Beatle-ish, obviously. Mm-hmm. They were signed to Apple, but just a terrible run of luck. Their manager basically stole all their money and had it tied up to where they couldn't do anything about it. Then they're on the um, Apple label, which when the Beatles broke up, all of that became embroiled in all kinds of legal nonsense. Right. So these guys are a valid band with great songs, and they can't get the stuff out there. They can't get to their own money. <laughs> and they're just stalled. And it didn't happen to them like once. It happened to them twice, you know. And same thing that didn't happen to them once, but happened to them twice, was their lead members killing themselves. Really? Yeah. Imagine if the Beatles, Paul McCartney committed suicide. Okay. And then two years later, John Lennon committed suicide. Right. And the reasons all had to do with money and their finances and how they'd been screwed by the music industry and by bad managers. Right. Well. But wrote some incredible, incredible songs. 
I mean, like, really great songs. I'm going to have to give that give them a listen. Yeah, well, I made a playlist that I put on Spotify. Okay. If you're into this podcast and you go uh, on any of our websites, uh, particularly, like, if you go to uh, donnyshaddock.podbean.com, if you go there, I have Spotify playlists for each episode. Mm-hmm. And then I also have Spotify playlists for things that are either coming up or sort of spin off or something like that. Take your babies to your breast. No, we never pass the test. All I see should be confessed. There's also a band called Big Star that they were influenced by. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard of Big Star. Cheap Trick did the song on that 70s show, Out in the Streets. Right. Well, that's a Big Star song. There's the Beatles, and then there's Badfinger, and then there's Big Star, and then there's Cheap Trick. But here's a crazy story about Cheap Trick, is that three quarters of the band, Rick Nielsen, guitar player, mm-hmm. Bunny Carlos, the drummer, yep. and Tom Peterson, the bass player, were in a band called The Grim Reaper before they got Robin Zander. Mm-hmm. Their big claim to fame, and the reason they changed their name, was that they were supposed to open up for Otis Redding the night that Otis Redding's plane crashed. Oh, shit. So there were flyers up that said, Tonight, Otis Redding with the Grim Reaper. Now that's fucked up. Yes. <laughs> so they changed their name. Yeah, good Here, move. Yeah. Sitting on the dock of the bay Wasting time Shortly thereafter, they get Robin Zander, and they become Cheap Trick. In my opinion... Robin Zander is the most criminally underrated lead singer in rock. That dude's voice is beautiful. I wouldn't say I wouldn't give, say he has a beautiful voice. He has a, a really, really good voice for that genre. 
when we saw, uh, well, I'm sure you've seen them many times before, but I just saw Cheap Trick for the first time last year. Yeah. With you. With me, yeah. And uh, put on an amazing show. Very disappointed that Bonnie Carlos wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. That uh, was it, um, Rick Nielsen's son, I think. Rick Nielsen's drums. son is the drummer. Yeah, yeah. yeah, basically. They put on a great show, and Robin Zander couldn't quite hit some of the notes. Well, he's getting old. Well, They're yeah. All getting older, you know? But I mean, his vocal range. When I say beautiful, I'm talking about, like, if you go back and listen to Tonight It's You. is a good song on a crappy album called Standing on the Edge but tonight it's you his voice the whole song just defies every attempt by the 80s to make it a crappy pop single right it's a good single just a lot of times just really emotive right you know his voice to me and then Rick Nielsen's guitar playing is just awesome style that's all his own it's it's good and it but it's raw uh-huh. you know it's really raw he's one of those guitars where you don't have to be precise you could be playing a little bit off and it still sounds yeah. fucking amazing yeah yeah he's great i've seen cheap trick four or five times now and i saw him in a little club well i saw him at the cradle the cat's cradle you know and right up close and rick nielsen at one point was standing on i think the monitor and he was taking his guitar and punching it through the ceiling and all this, you know, probably asbestos is, <laughs> is raining down on him, the band, and the uh, the people in the front row. Mm-hmm. A- extraordinary guitar player. What else is interesting about him is that um, when he plays, if you listen to his solos, a lot of times he slides in little references. Right. He'll put in a tiny bit of a T-Rex guitar lick. The one I'm thinking about is there's a song called The House is Rocking with Domestic Problems, Mm -hmm. which is from uh, the Dream Police album, and it has two or three guitar solos in the song. But in the fade out, he does a little bit of uh, Yardbirds.
but he does that a lot. Like if uh, there's another song called Need Your Love. Mm-hmm. And it just builds and builds, and it's kind of building off of a T-Rex kind of riff. And then he does all these little references and phrases, uh, and he doesn't do a lot of them, and he doesn't usually make them real obvious, but they're in there. The other great thing is that he writes his solos, which a lot of people don't do and haven't done since that era. Right, yeah. But the the power pop guitar solo is always, it's almost its own little song. But otherwise, it's not power pop to me. Right. You know, because like when you when you look at like Elliot Easton from The Cars. Right, yeah. I mean, his solos are almost perfect little songs. Well, that and that's the, that era of guitarist. Um, especially the lead guitarists when they were doing their solos, they would they they would they would actually write their solos and the phrasing would it would like add to the song. Absolutely. And what started in the grunge era was guitar solos just became a guitar version of the vocal melody and or just noise or just noise. Right. 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 And I kind of miss that era of of people writing these intricate solos that add to the song. Well, another thing I noticed, and I, I only knew this from back then, was um, when I was in Amphetamine Library, guitar player uh, Andrew Thompson, who's in Hammock now, he would write his solos, and he wouldn't just be like, all right, we're going to play, I'm going to play a solo over the verse. You know, it would basically add in a, a second bridge mm. to some degree, and it, that would be what he would write a solo on. Right. And that, I noticed, is pretty characteristic, well, certainly of every Van Halen song, which yeah. he was very influenced by. Uh, you get to the solo, Eddie's not just going to play along with the verse or the chorus. Yeah. He's going to have its own section. It's its own piece. And it, yeah, and, it, yeah, and it, will, it will be different, but it will fit into the song. It'll be crucial. Uh, other 
artists and guitar solos I, I come to think of I always think of My Sharona by The Knack mm-hmm. you know that guitar solo is essential yeah but it's its own piece and it's it's all tied together you know it's all wrapped up when he comes out of the solo it's not like alright I'm done with the solo everybody jump back in the song it's like they are part of the solo coming back into the song bass drums guitar they're all right there on it you know it's not just some slapdash thrown on right like yeah. a lot of them now and you're right that did start with grunge the other interesting thing about Rick Nielsen is that he has always been stone cold sober I did not, not a know big that. drinker I think he's sort of like Gene Simmons and Ted Nugent and these other guys who are kind of right wing about this. Right, yeah. Like, don't have much empathy for people who do it, don't understand why people do it, look down on them to some degree. Mm-hmm. But mostly, I've got a business to run, and right. why would you take drugs when you have a business to run? Which is very smart. It is smart. It is smart. And there, there are only certain people in rock and roll who are like that. And it's always in a successful band, too. It's no accident that, yeah. especially these guys who've been around a long time, they've seen it all. They know they know what the deal is. They're kind of like, well, you don't go to your job drunk. Right. You don't smoke pot before you start interacting with your customers. Yeah. Why should I? It's smart. Yeah, and, and there is a case to be made for that. Absolutely. I think every band at least needs to have that guy, especially if it's going to be the leader of the band. Right. There, there has to be at least one level head. And he has to be able to break it down for everybody else. Right. Because otherwise you end up, you know, you get a Sid Barrett or something in your band and it doesn't matter, you know, because he's the guy. (laughs) (laughs) Rick Nielsen, always about business. Cheap Trick did have that rough spot that we'll talk about. It was because he had writers. Okay. And it was kind of like, God, I've worked all my life to get here. Now we're here. Now what do I do? The pressure was different, and the expectations were different, and the hunger was different. Right. He had to adjust to that, and that's why they started to bring in outside songwriters and such. Yeah. At the record company's insistence. You can almost tell in those 80s records, you can tell which songs were, were outside writers. Yes. Yeah, very much so. And in fact, one of their most famous songs... Yeah, The Flame. The Flame. That was obviously written by, by somebody in the marketing department. Oh, dude, first time I heard that song, <laughs> I was... Like really? Yeah, that because that doesn't even sound like them. No, no, and it, it. But it became one of their most popular songs because you know what? It, it, the eighties loved anthems, and the flame is a fucking anthem. seems like these bands kind of have to go through that and then what if they didn't have those hits you know those manufactured hits like would they have been able to survive the period at all would they be around now another band i think about like that is heart i love heart until the 80s right and same exact thing well, we got to get videos for you guys. You guys need to look different. You need yeah. and manufacture some songs and all this kind of stuff. And even they hate it. That's the question. You know, what would happen to all these bands had they not gone through the crappy 80s? Because they made a lot of money. Then. Well, they, they made a lot of money, but they also put out a, a lot of shit music. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cheap Trick was no exception. And, and Donnie, you know, I mean, in, in preparation for this. I mean, I, I've always liked Cheap Trick, but I never really delved into their entire catalog. Right. So this week, while I'm at work, and yes, I, um, I work in software development, so I'm writing code all day, so I can listen to music while I'm doing this. 
So the whole week, I listened to nothing but Cheap Trick. Their entire catalog's beginning to end. And they started off with some great records. Just unbelievable records. And then about five records of pure shit. All the records right up to their, their current stuff are really good. Yeah, they're good albums. They're solid albums. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. And some really cool songs in there. These bands have to kind of lose their way a little while before they get back to where they should be. Well, I think the 80s just kind of did that to a lot of people. I got into them from the Budokan album. Almost everybody's first Cheap Trick song was I Want You to Want Me from right. the live Budokan. It's and, the greatest version of that song. Yeah. Well, the the one on the vinyl doesn't even sound like mm-hmm. Like, you know, the one off of In Color, the original. Right. It's so tame compared. Oh, it is. Yeah. You know? What really makes that album is the energy, and what really is the energy is the crowd. Japanese girls going bonkers. Yeah. And the amazing thing was up till Budokan, Cheap Trick had put out three albums. I don't think any of them dented the top 40 here, but were all huge, like platinum albums in Japan. Oh, wow. They would go to Japan and, you know, be selling out big halls and playing for and treated like gods. Come back here. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Right. Yeah. It was amazing. And what it was, was I think that the, the Japanese, they just, they liked the juxtaposition of the cute guys mm. with the dorky looking guys well the thing was i think rick nielsen was going to look nerdy no matter what i think he realized i'm not going to look like jimmy page so i should go in the other direction right which is pretty clever ultimately yeah it is you know yeah so they had this you know odd look these two kind of heartthrob looking dudes who Mm -hmm. looked very much of their time and then these two guys look like accountants you know or (laughs) you know bunny carlos looks like a a private investigator from the 70s you're right he does (laughs) (laughs) but a great drummer really great oh yeah he's awesome
a really nice guy. Like, I've met him a couple of times. Have you? Really nice. Like, just incredibly nice guy. He looks like how he acts. Okay. Just, like, kind of unassuming, normal guy. Just like a regular dude. Cheap Trick were opening for Robert Plant in Richmond in the uh, mid-'80s. And it was when The Flame was big. Right. And uh, Robert Plant had that Manic Nirvana album. Mm-hmm. I used to work right there and so sometimes I'd go in the Coliseum and see if there's a sound check and so I'm sitting there and this guy's coming down the aisle behind me it was Bunny uh-huh. and Bunny comes and sits right behind me and he's like provoking the roadies he's like yelling shit at him <laughs> they obviously had this great rapport because they were fucking with him back Tom Peterson the bass player Invented the 12-string bass. Yeah, Hamer made that. It has this epic sound. Like, it's... Well, yeah, it's it's just full. Yeah. Really, really full. And I, I think that there's... I don't even know if it's possible to play that with your fingers. I don't know how you... Play that with a pick. Right. There's, there's no other way yeah. to. Yeah. How would you fret it? Yeah, you'd need enormous calluses on your fingers <laughs> for one. Just... Yeah. <laughs> they were, they've been called the American Beatles. A lot of it, I think, it just had to do with the fact they're such four distinct personalities. Yeah. And we miss that in music now. Can you name one person? and an arcade fire. You no. know, it, there's nothing wrong with that, but that's what we're missing. That's why bands like Kiss were huge and Cheap Trick and Led Zeppelin and Right, it's not it wasn't just the music, it was like their story. That was part of their mystique. And that's why I always like bands that had four people. Right. When you start getting to five Certainly anything over five. You don't remember all the dudes' names. If you're a music fan, you know who all the guys in Aerosmith are. But really, Steve Tyler, Joe Perry, and the LI3. Yeah. The less interesting three. Yeah. <laughs> they, they might as well be one person. I thought Cheap Trick were great in that way. I just always loved the catchiness of the songs and the fact that Robin Zander, I just think he, he just delivers so well oh, as yeah. a vocalist to right. get that hook across. In that genre of music, he's got the perfect voice. Here they come in 75, 76. Six. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That first Cheap Trick album at that time is really odd. For the next three albums, they do the thing where they put the good-looking guys on the front cover and the dorky-looking guys on the back cover. <laughs> I, I think it's just a hilarious running joke. I'd say the first four albums are awesome, and I think they get successfully better. Up to and including Dream Police. Yep. After that is where it starts to break down. Right. Well, the, what was the one after Dream Police? All Shook Up. That wasn't bad. No, it's not bad. And it's produced by uh, George Martin. Okay. And then engineered by Jeff Emmerich, which those are the Beatles guys. I didn't I had no idea George Martin had a part in that record. That's when Rick Nielsen hit the wall and had writer's block. He had a hard time coming up with stuff for that album. You know, imagine if you're such a fan of the Beatles as they obviously were. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, you're going to get to work with the producer and engineer of the Beatles on your album. Oh, my God, I have to write music for this? And you can't think of a damn thing. <sighs> yeah. It's not bad, but it's definitely a step back, I think, from Dream Police. Some people will and say- It is a step back, but I didn't start 
getting uh, turned off by the music. No, no. Until, the, I guess, the one after that. The one, one. after. Yeah. yeah. Tom Peterson quit. Right. Right after that album. He's on the cover, but I don't think he toured. So they got a succession of um, other cute uh, brunette bass player guys. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they did like Next Position Please album, right? And that's produced by Todd Rundgren, oddly enough. Uh, the one-on-one album, you know, it has If You Want My Love, You've Got It. You are the secrets of love in this world. I'm hypnotized by your every special faces, special voices, special smell in my life. There's a handful of good songs on those records. Then they get to Standing on the Edge, and Standing on the Edge was supposed to be produced by Jack Richardson. Well, he did record the album with them, but then for some reason they had a different person mix it. His mission seemed to be like, come in and fuck this album up. Yeah. Because he added all kinds of 80s touches. He did all kinds of like kind of cheesy things to it. Now, is there an original mix to that record? See, I don't know. I would like to know. That, but I don't know. That would be that would be something to hear. Another time where the producer match with the band seems like it'd be made in heaven. Right. You know, Cheap Trick, produced by George Martin, you would think. You'd think it'd be amazing. That would be amazing. Yeah. Cheap Trick, produced by Todd Rundgren, you would think that would be amazing. And it's not. And I don't know what the issue was, but ultimately I think it comes down to songs. Yeah. After that, I think, I'm not positive, but somewhere in there, maybe the next record is The Doctor. Well, yeah, there was one. There was one record that was just so bad. I think that was it. Yeah, that I, I couldn't. I actually sat through it because you know I'm doing my due diligence for the show here. But that record was fucking bad. But then that's when they get Tom Peterson back. Mm-hmm. All right, here's a really cool thing I bet you haven't heard. Okay. Is And I have a copy of this. It's a bootleg, and they keep saying it's going to come out, but it hasn't yet. And it is a um, completely 
uh, redone, reworked version of the whole In Color album, Cheap Trick In Color. Okay. But it's produced by Steve Albini. Ooh. And it's just raw and immediate, and it sounds like what you would hope the album would have sounded like. I want to hear that route. I want to hear that record. Like, yeah. Like now, if you can. I can do that. I can make that happen. Okay, good. I'm not usually a fan of going back and re-recording stuff. The Cheap Trick In Color album, the original mix, is just so tame. Right. The whole thing is just really tame and thin to me. Right. Including I Want You To Want Me. You know? Oh, yeah. But there's so many good songs on it. You know, there's Downed. Mm-hmm. That's a great song. Southern Girls. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of songs that you don't typically hear are on that that are really, really good. And then um, I think they really kind of came into their own with the Heaven Tonight album. And that, of course, had Surrender, which is their signature song. Yep. And the song Heaven Tonight is so Beatle-ish and dark. And it's an anti-drug song. You can never come down. I mean, it's, it's, it's a song about overdose. Yeah. songs on that record I think are great Heaven Tonight the track and I've never heard him play that live I've never I've never heard anybody else say they really love that song before but it's huh. one of their most Beatles sounding songs I have to go back and listen to that again and then my favorite Cheap Trick album is Dream Police oh yeah I love all the songs on that record performances are awesome but I really love Gonna Raise Hell yeah that part in the middle where robin zander is like you know he's like saying mama mama and then he just screams his blood curdling like it's really you know really dark the song Dream Police. Right. Killer drums on that. It's almost like a drum solo in the middle of the song with an orchestra.
what, what was the record? There was a record they put out in 1994. That that was the first one I heard as I was going through their their whole catalog chronologically. You know, I had just listened to like five records of you know a handful of good songs surrounded by sheer crap. Right. Right. You know, and then all of a sudden I listened to the record in 1994, and and all of a sudden this record sounds great. And then everyone that came after that, they were getting progressively better. The album you might be referring to is Woke Up With The Monster. Yes, I believe that is correct. The greatest thing about Woke Up With The Monster, the title cut, you could almost put it on simultaneously with Cold Turkey right. by John Lennon. It's so very similar in feel and everything. Okay. It almost sounds like he is, instead of using a pick, he's using a razor blade. Because it's like, you know, it yeah, just yeah. cuts. And that's the same sort of feel from Cold Turkey. But also just the melody and feel, and there's a little bit of a beatlishness thing going on in there. Yeah, right. Double Fantasy. Really? Yeah. So I did not know that. The guy who produced Double Fantasy was Jack Richardson. Richardson was working with John and Yoko on Double Fantasy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Yoko kind of squashed all of it, and Jack Richardson was still wanting that, and so he made a rough mix of what they had recorded and was pumping that through the headphones of the musicians as they re-recorded it because he <laughs> wanted to try to capture right. what they had gotten before, even though Yoko vetoed it. Huh. So it was just like, man. Do those, at least the, the music that was recorded, does that exist anywhere? There is a version of I'm Losing You that Cheap Trick played on. Okay. We're rolling. Okay, you st- somebody counted in. Let's go. Here in some stranger's room Late in the afternoon What am I doing here at all? Oh, ain't no doubt about it I'm losing you I'm losing you So that was a wasted effort. Yeah, you're right. About 94, they come back with Woke Up With A Monster. They had a really great box set uh, in 96 called Sex America, Cheap Trick. 
killer live album from 99 called Music for Hangovers. I hadn't listened to that. That's a good album. Yeah. Good album. In 2009, they did, or they released anyway, a live album of them doing the whole Sgt. Pepper's. I listened album. to that a long time ago, it's but I did good. listen to it. It was, it's really good. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Woke up, fell out of bed, dragged a comb across my head. Found my way downstairs and drank a cup. And looking up, I noticed I was late. Made the bus in seconds flat Found my way upstairs and had a smoke Somebody spoke and I went into a dream put out an album that same year called The Latest. Yeah. And that was the one where I kind of go, hmm, they really are continuing to do this and to do their best with it. And the thing was, uh, we saw that tour. They had the guys from from Jellyfish opening. Uh Uh-huh. They were great. And then when Cheap Trick came on, the guys from Jellyfish stayed and kind of filled out their sound. But it was perfect, because normally I don't like that stuff. Yeah. I don't like extra musicians on the stage. But Jellyfish were really like sort of the next step after Cheap Trick as far as beetle homage right yeah you know and they had some killer songs i hope you remember me i watched daddy once wearing the sailor cap and dirty nails for you i'm just a picture on your mother's mantelpiece Chose to fight the good fight and time to fail Into battle, in your shadow, your titles still, yes I do The funny thing about that tour was that they had put out an eight-track tape 
of the latest. Okay. And so when they did the show, uh, Rick Nielsen informed us that we have the biggest selling 8-track tape in the world right now. <laughs> <laughs> had that since 79 <laughs> they actually released that on 8 track yeah isn't that funny i mean i don't even have a turntable anymore and i still have my stack of records oh well, when are you going to give those to me at least what because you don't need them no i want to get a turntable no you don't need that <laughs> no you're missing the point man <laughs> you, you fucked it all up <laughs> all through all of this uh-huh. they just kept working Right. And I have a huge amount of respect for that. But yeah, if you can get out and see Cheap Trick, you should definitely do it. I Yeah, I saw them for the first time last year, and I was blown away by how good they are. I was really, really impressed. That was that was one of my, one of the best shows that I've seen in a long time. Yeah, I've seen them in big places, and I'm seeing them in little places and in-between places. They are as blue-collar as anybody. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to it. This has been produced by Donnie Shattuck.